Good morning. My name is Ben, and this is the story of David. You know the phrase, you are the man, right? We would have used this phrase a lot with David. He was a shepherd when he was a youth, and in that area there were lions and bears around that would sometimes try to grab a sheep and carry it off to eat it. David, when he was just a kid really, would go after the lion or the bear, whack it maybe with his staff or something, and rescue his family's sheep. And then, if the lion or the bear tried to attack him, he would grab it by the fur, or as in some translations it says, by the beard, and he would strike it down. Now, I like to imagine his friends finding out about that, looking down at the lion corpse and saying, uh, David, you are the man. And then, of course, there's the story of Goliath, nine-foot-tall giant, defying the Israelite army for weeks and weeks. Nobody dares fight him. David shows up, finds out what's going on, and volunteers to face him. David says that Goliath shouldn't be allowed to defy God's armies like that and that God would deliver Goliath into his hand. Then he went out with his sling, and he sunk a rock into Goliath's forehead. Goliath fell down and never got up. Just imagine, all across the victorious Israelite camp, you can hear the soldiers shouting the ancient Hebrew version of, David, 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 you are the man. And there are lots more incredible scenes in this story. The scene where more and more epic warriors gather to follow David. The one, no, the two times where Saul, who was king at the time and was trying to kill David, realized that David had spared Saul's life. Each time, David you are the man. David eventually became king of all Israel after Saul, and this is where today's story really starts. After leading the Israelites to many, many military victories, one year, David makes a very poor decision. It was the spring, which was the time when the kings were supposed to lead their armies into battle, but David decides to stay at home in Jerusalem and enjoy the comforts of life there. He skips out on his responsibilities. So one day, there in Jerusalem, David notices a beautiful woman named Bathsheba, who is married to one of David's loyal soldiers, a man named Uriah the Hittite. Uriah is away at the battle where David should have been. David calls Bathsheba to the palace and sleeps with her, and she becomes pregnant. To cover this up, David summons Uriah back to Jerusalem, to the palace, visits with him for a while, and then says, Why don't you go home for a visit? Under normal circumstances, this might be a generous offer. But Uriah doesn't go home. He feels like it wouldn't be right to go home to his wife when all the other soldiers are away from home and in danger. He sleeps outside the palace instead. The next night, David gets Uriah drunk so that presumably he would lose his convictions, go home and sleep with his wife, and in that way cover up the evidence of David and Bathsheba's adultery. But Uriah won't do it. It just wouldn't be right under the circumstances. So David sends him back to the battle with a sealed letter to the general, a letter that says, put Uriah at the front of the fighting, then fall back so that he gets killed. And that's what happened. Uriah was killed. David committed murder to cover up his adultery. 
Then he married Bathsheba, and she had their baby, a son. Now, there was a prophet of God named Nathan who knew David and who was not afraid to speak truth to power. After all, God himself told Nathan what to say. God sent Nathan to David, and Nathan told David a story. King David, once there were two men, one rich and one poor. The rich man had all kinds of flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little lamb. He raised the lamb, and it grew up with him and his children. It used to eat from his table and drink from his cup. This lamb was like a daughter to the poor man. Now one day the rich man had a guest. Rather than prepare his guest a meal by choosing an animal from his own flocks or herds, the rich man took the poor man's lamb. He slaughtered that one lamb and prepared it for his guest. David heard this story and was furious. He said to Nathan, the man who did this deserves to die. He had no pity. Who is this man? And then Nathan said to David, are you ready for this? You are the man. And then he went on. This is what God says to you, David, king of Israel. I made you king. I saved your life when Saul was hunting you down. I gave everything of his to you. And if that weren't enough, I would have given you even more. But after all this, you have despised my word. You killed Uriah by the sword, and now the sword will never leave your house. You have despised me. Because of this, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house. You will suffer in front of all Israel the things that you did in secret. And then... David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, God has put away your sin. You're not going to die. Nevertheless, you have utterly scorned the Lord by what you have done. And the child who is born to you will die. Then Nathan left. Over time, everything Nathan predicted came true. So much tragedy from such a terrible series of decisions. Good morning, everybody. Did that feel like an episode, like something on HBO, right? That was, it's like, should I be listening to this in church? It's actually in, in the Bible. That, that's the story of, of David. And we're closing out this series that we started a few weeks ago called How to Make a Bad Decision. And you just heard uh, probably one of the, the worst decisions that's been recorded. And the goal of this series is to look at times in history that biblical figures, uh, people who have sought the Lord or people the Lord had a plan for, and they've, they've blown it. They've gone down a path of bad decisions that's led to more bad decisions that's kind of impacted their life and the lives of others. Uh, the reason we're doing this is, one, it shows that the Bible speaks to life and things that people experience today, they've experienced it back then. Pressures, temptations, blowing it, and redemption, trying to figure that all out in the middle of it. My purpose and how God can use me despite being a flawed person thing that David was faced after the decisions that he made. 
And so throughout this series, we've been looking at these characters so we can learn that, you know, the Bible speaks to real life. Not only the things that people do badly, but the pieces that, that they pick up and how do they move forward despite the mistakes they've made. And so today we're closing this out by looking at what do you do when you put yourself in a vulnerable position and how can that impact your decisions? And the fact of the matter is, we all at different times put ourselves in compromising positions. We end up places where we shouldn't be. We end up doing things that we shouldn't do and then we regret it. And we, we all face regret in life, things that we look back and we wish we wouldn't have done, wouldn't have seen, wouldn't have experienced, right? I think all of us can relate to that. And so today's stories, we're gonna look at the things that you just heard in the life of David, kind of internalize it for our own life and ask the question, well, what, what can we do differently? So today we're looking at like problems and choices that we make that are flat out wrong. However, we have to make an adjustment because we live in a time where we don't really wanna say wrong is wrong. We live in a time where we say, I made a mistake. Now, when we say we made a mistake, oftentimes it's to lessen the blow of decisions. Like I made a mistake, I didn't mean to do it, or I made a mistake, it wasn't that big of a deal. I saw this article headline the other day. It says this, Michael Gove, cocaine mistake, a deep regret. He was on drugs and he regrets it, but he he labeled it a mistake. People caught in terrible decisions oftentimes say, I made a mistake, not it was wrong. Today's story is all about moving past that like mistake I got caught to owning decisions that we've made that we know are flat out wrong. So we have to kind of, in our own life, recognize those times where we kind of want to downplay the decisions that we've made. So my goal of today is not to kind of put this heavy burden on you of the decisions you've made that you regret, because right, that burden is heavy enough. The last thing you want is to come to church and somebody say, you're messed up. Have a great week, right? We kind of know that. We know we're messed up. We know that we've made mistakes. So today, it's like, well, what do we do when we know we've blown it? We know we've messed up. What do we do now? And so I hope today gives you actually encouragement rather than shame. It gives you a way forward rather than regret. And in this series, we've looked at the story of Esau. That was actually David's great-grandson. That's how we kicked it off. He made a hasty decision and it cost him a fortune. That was a bad decision, making a decision in haste. Uh, We looked at the story, the character of Rehoboam, how he rejected wise counsel. It was given to him, he rejected it, and it cost him more than half of his kingdom. Last week, we looked at the story of of Samson, the strongest man ever, but he gave in to his desires, and it cost him ultimately his life. And today, we're looking at the life of David and how he put himself in some compromise, and it cost him a son, and it caused rebellion in his own line. And so what we encounter in life is our decisions matter. What we do makes an impact, and God wants us to make the best decisions possible. But here's the thing. If you're like me, uh, you may have heard of this David before all of this story. I remember him as a kid learning he was the shepherd boy that defeated Goliath. You guys all know the story of Goliath, that the giant You may not know, but you have kind of this reference. You see it all in our culture. There's something about stones, a slingshot, and then this tall guy that just dies. And as a young kid, you're like, that's amazing. You know, you're just this this battle that, that came to life, and that's the story of David. So you see early on, he had this power. He was a skilled musician. He was a shepherd. He was this warrior, 
And then he became the second king of Israel. He had influence that nobody had. In fact, he was coined David, man after God's own heart. And he was a hero. But in the middle of that, he made terrible decisions that you, you, you can't look past. And in some ways, it, it should comfort us because in the, all the things that we do bad and all the things that we regret, God can still use us. And this is the case in David. This is the case in so many biblical figures. We're flawed, we're mixed, we're messed up, and God still chooses to use you. But what I want to do is I want to look at the nitty-gritty of his bad decisions so we can learn from them and move forward. So kind of follow along with me. I'm going to highlight some of the scriptures from the story that Ben read, uh, which he kind of taken from 2 Samuel. So here's the elements of David's despicable uh, decision. And it, it was despicable. The first thing is David shunned responsibility. And 2 Samuel 11 says this. You can see it on the screen. There's also a handout if you want to follow along. It says, in the spring at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. David's role was to lead. He was the leader over all the nation. He was the person that God had given this role. You lead the army. You lead the people. You lead them forward. Instead, he sent out others to lead for him. And he stayed home in the comfort of all that he knew. And that right there is one of the beginning to bad decisions when it comes to compromise. When we have responsibility that, that God has, has given us, anytime we loosen our grip, anytime we kind of walk away from responsibility, act like it's not ours to do, we lessen our grip, things begin to unravel. That happened with David. He took a step back from his God-given responsibilities. He took a break. He wanted something for himself. And that began this process of the bad decision. So he shunned responsibility anytime we loosen our grip on our responsibilities as parents, as spouses, as workers in our job. Whenever we kind of just loosen that grip and take a step back, bad things tend to happen. And it's the same with the life of David. Second is he made himself vulnerable. So he shunned the responsibility and then he put himself in vulnerable positions. Check this out. The next verse, it says this. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful. That's really interesting because all the army is fighting. And so all the men were sent off to fight. David probably knew this. And so when he's going out to see what on the roof, he's got a sense he's know what he's going to see. He's not going to see couples. He's going to see women by themselves. So the scene was set up, his actions. He sent everyone forward. He remained back, and he put himself in this position where he's going to see something he should not see. And the Bible says she was very beautiful. When the Bible says that, it's making a note. He wanted to see her, and he put himself in that position to do it. Now, the question we all need to ask ourselves is, where and when am I most vulnerable? Are there situations that we can find ourselves where we tend to be on that verge of compromise. Here's some things that I thought uh, for myself. Anytime I'm in conflict with somebody, you know, when you're, you're, 
you're in a conflict, there's a disagreement. It could be with your spouse. It could be with your kids. It could be with your boss. Anytime there's a conflict, conflict usually tends to internalize within us. We get mad, we get angry, we get frustrated, and that begins where we run scenarios. You guys know what I'm saying? You're, you're not happy. There's some cracks in the relationship, and as the cracks form, you begin to run these thoughts, things of anger or things of what you want to do or things like you take me for granted, you know, all those kinds of things. So anytime there's conflict, we're vulnerable. Um, how many of you have stressful jobs? Anytime you're stressed at work, you're, I, man, I got some people in the back. They're doing the wave back there. They're, they're stressed out. Go give them a hug after. But anytime you're, you're stressed at work and you feel the pressure, when pressure comes and pressure comes, pressure comes, oftentimes we think like, I need, I need something for me. And I think that was probably the same for David. Now, it's easy to say, how could he let his fighters and his troops go ahead and he stayed back? Well, the pressure of leading and everything that he had to do, it probably got to the point where he's like, I need a break. And it's okay to have breaks, but at the moment that you feel this pressure and you begin to run these scenarios of all you want to do to make yourself feel better, you usually get into trouble. So if you're stressed, that's a sign. Um, when you're disappointed with somebody, when somebody's let you down, when they've hurt you, maybe they said something that they were going to do and they didn't do it. Maybe they just said something that kind of cuts you a little bit deep. Those oftentimes create cracks as well, where we begin to just run these scenarios again and it leads us down the path. Here's another one. This one I find a lot when I'm tired. How many of you are tired? How many of you are so tired you can't even lift your arm to say it? Go, you know, just get a buddy, have them lift that up. I think most of us, most of the people I talk to are tired. I found myself saying that a couple times today. I'm tired, I need some coffee, I'm yawning. Tired. When you're tired, you end up making terrible decisions. You ever thought about that? I'm cranky when I'm tired. Any of you guys cranky? You don't know it, ask somebody. All these things, they, they lead to you being vulnerable. And when we feel these things, we have to be really careful. When you feel stressed, when you feel disappointed, when you're in conflict, you need to ask your question. Am I in the right place right now to make a major decision? Because if you do, you make that major decision and stuff's not right, there's this barrier between you and somebody and there's a barrier between you and God. Watch out, pay attention to that. Here's the third thing. And this is obviously... Obvious, but he sinned, and then he covered it up. He, he messed up, and then he had this complex plan. I don't know if you picked up on all the nuances of it, but we're talking organizing armies, placing people, and, you know, have you guys ever seen The Godfather? You may not want to admit that in church, but I own it, so it's okay. But it sounds like mafia, you know, like this planning and cunning and placing people in the different places. That's what David did. The person with the most power leveraged his power to get what he wanted and then leveraged his power to cover it up. That's why it was despicable. This is what it says in 2 Samuel 11, verse 3. And David sent someone to find out about her. So this is where it starts. He saw something he shouldn't have seen. And it could have stopped there. God, forgive me, I shouldn't have seen that. I'm not going to look again. But instead, he got some messengers. Hey, go, 
Go check on her. Go ask her what she's doing. And the plan started. It went from something he saw to now this plan of action to get what he wants. It says, the man said, isn't this Bathsheba, the daughter of Iliam, and the wife of Uriah, the Hittite? Then David sent messengers to get her. She came to him, and he slept with her. In just one verse, right there at the end, it just seems just like nothing. Like, but in that moment, generations were changed by that bad decision. And the people he got involved. And so he launched into this cover-up scheme, some of what Ben read. Wanted Uriah to come back so he could sleep with Bathsheba so it looked like, because she got pregnant, that it wasn't David's. Now at this point, the messengers know what's going on. God knows what's going on. And so already his sin is, is getting out. He can't hide. And Uriah is a noble man. He wasn't going to go home with his wife, not while the army is fighting. Very interesting. The exact opposite of what David did. He was going to tighten his grip on his responsibility. He was going to remain loyal to the task that had been given to him. The whole while not knowing he's in a trap. So David realizing that he can't get him drunk to make a decision. He can't send him to his wife. He decides, okay, well, now I have to get the general, Joab, to put him in the front lines. And through that, he, he dies. He gets killed. And so David had his hand in all of this, and he's just trying to play, and he's trying to figure out, how can I, despite the wrong that I've done and the terrible decision, how can I make it seem like it was not me? The reason I bring this up is we actually, as humans, what separates us from any other being is we are very good at being sneaky. We are very good at covering up our mistakes. Could you imagine if right now all the things that you've ever covered up in your life became a projector on this screen? We would all be running out of here, right? Don't grab the popcorn, run for your life. Because we all have that. But before God, he sees it all. He sees it. Nothing misses him. So in this story, as humans, we're, we're faced with the same strategies that we have. Now, we're probably not going to those ends, but it's in us. Anytime we make a mistake, there's a sense of how can I make it seem like I didn't do it? How can I appear better than I am, right? We all have that. And here's the central idea and truth. Covering up sin it magnifies and multiplies our trouble. It actually does the opposite. We think if we cover our sin, nobody will see it. In fact, it's not a cover at all. It's a magnifying glass. Just like the sun comes through the magnifying glass, the heat's increased and it starts fires, it's the same. It's now bigger than it was, and now there's a spark. Anytime you try to cover it up, the opposite happens. It's magnified. The problem is some of the times we don't get caught right away, so we think it worked. And so we tend to cover up again, and we tend to cover up. But in the course of life, years in the making, the fires rage, and destruction happens. The story goes on, 2 Samuel eleven fourteen says this. In the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it with Uriah. In it, he wrote, put Uriah in the front line where the fighting is fiercest. Fiercest. Is that right? Fiercest. Did I say that right? I didn't the first time. 
Sometimes I think out loud, guys, just, just processing with you, okay? Uh, then withdraw from him so he will be struck down and die. So it's, it's like very clear plan. He had it completely mapped out. Verse 16 says this. So while Job had the city under siege, he put Uriah at a place where he knew the strongest defenders were. When the men of the city came out and fought against Job, some of the men in David's army fell. Moreover, Uriah the Hittite died. So you're seeing this narrative, this event unfold in history, and in the middle of it, David's plan of conspiracy. So the Israelites' lives are being taken, and an extra life's being taken because of what David has done. And you read this, and sometimes you're like, okay, yeah, that happened. But could you imagine if this was your family? You were connected to Uriah? This is what happens. This is some of the fractured relationships and the terrible things that happen to people through mistakes that we make, through decisions that we do that we shouldn't. And as the story ended, like Ben shared, Nathan confronts the king. And as he confronts the king, he's faced with the truth. I know what you did. God knows what you did. You are that man. And David, after this complex plan, over all the people he's brought in to deceive, he repents. And he confesses to God. And God shows him grace. Now, that grace did not erase the consequences. And I want to tell you, because all of us have things that we wish we wouldn't have done, we have maybe things that nobody even knows about. And sometimes we have to face those things down. But with God, as you turn to him and as you confess, he will forgive you of your sin. If he forgives David, he will forgive you. And there's messes and there's consequences. And sometimes that will take years and years to work out. And there will still be pain and there will still be scars. But God is not done with sinners because he created us to have a relationship with him. And so if you just look at David and there's like, oh, man, how could he do it? And then you look at your life and you say, well, I've, I've done some stuff as well. Just like there's hope for David, there's, there's hope for us. Uh, there's a quote that, that's really helpful for me that I think was first attributed to Martin Luther. It says this, God draws straight lines with crooked sticks. You're crooked, and so am I. We're broken. We're messed up. We wish we were straight like everything had it together. We wish. We're, we're just kind of crooked. But God uses us, and he can draw the straight lines. He can make things right. He can work it out. We, we, we have weaknesses. We blow it, but our story is not over. Just like with David, this was not the end it changed his life, and it changed the lives of others, but the story was not over. And that's the hope we all have. No matter what you've done, no matter where you are, you're in the middle of your story. And God's not done with you yet. This is what Romans 5.8 says. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. When you look face-to-face with what David has done, 
when you look face-to-face with what ourselves, what we have done, we didn't make mistakes. We've blown it. We've sinned. And that sin cost us eternal life with God because he created us and he's perfect and he wants a relationship with us. But as soon as we've sinned, there's a separation now because he can't be with sin. He's perfect. So he sent Jesus to die to pay that penalty, to pay that price for our sin. What's encouraging about this verse is while we were still sinners, Christ died. And that's the hope. There's forgiveness for us because Christ died for us. And he has paid the price so we may be whole again. The reason I bring this up is so many times we look at our decision-making process and we try to clean up our life. We try to get better before we come to God. This morning, I, I, made, a, I made a bad decision. And I ran out of gas at the gas station. If any of you were at Costco Gas this morning, you, you would have seen a funny sight. So I've been kind of, I, I like to be on the edge of, like, how far can I go without filling up? You guys know what I'm saying? Like, you just kind of like, a little bit more. I needed to get gas yesterday morning. I went the whole day. I didn't get gas. I just wasn't feeling it. You know, just didn't, <laughs> didn't want to stop. This morning, then I had my boys in the car, and this morning I'm like, okay, I got to go to Costco because that's cheap because it's like $20 a gallon now. You go to Costco, and it's like 17. Not true, but it feels like it. And I get, and I'm, I'm in line, and all of a sudden, the van just starts rumbling a little bit. Like, oh, buddy, what you eat? You know, just, and it just, I'm next in line. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Like that, that really, like, that really helped right there. I'm next in line, and there's no, I, I can't move forward. And my boys are like, whoa, 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 what that was wrong? What's that? think I ran out of gas. <laughs> so I'm like totally embarrassed. I try to start it up again. It's like, and it just, it's dead. And so my boys are 10 and eight. I'm like, boys, you're going to have to push this van. <laughs> you're going to become a man this morning. <laughs> and I hope I don't run you over. And so we get out and I'm one leg in it on the ground and steering, but trying to like, you know, do one of the, like Fred Flintstone, you know? And the boys are back there. And I take it, take the, the, the brake off and I put it in neutral and the van starts going backwards. I didn't, tell, I didn't tell you, babe. I didn't tell my wife yet. I just realized she's hearing this for the first time. Next week, part five, Pastor Alex, how to make a bad decision. Okay. So the van starts rolling back, and I know that's not good because they're back there, and so I'm, like, putting on the brake. This, this is going somewhere, okay? Maybe. So we start rolling back, and I realize that the boys, they, they're not going to be able to push this. It's a little bit of a hill. I can't Fred Flintstone it up to the, the, the fuel. And so I just, there's a guy behind me. His window is open. I, w- I bet you he wished, why did I crack that window? Because I'm just like, hey, I think I ran out of gas. Can you push my van up? And with him, he came, and my boys are in the back, and we pushed it up. The reason I say that is oftentimes we think I got to do all the work myself. 
And what tends to happen is we make decisions, and we make bad decisions, and we make bad decisions, and we just keep rolling backwards. And we just keep rolling backwards. And we keep rolling backwards, and we can't get ahead. What you need is you need help outside of yourself. You can't do it. And that's why Jesus came. He came to give you the power that you do not have to change. And you could keep trying to figure out a different strategy, and you could keep trying to figure out a different path, but unless that path points towards Jesus, you don't have the power to change. And we know that intuitively because we don't change. We're in the same place. And so Jesus came that if you turn to him, he will help you, and he will give you what you need in the moment. And so if you've never decided to invite Jesus to lead your life, that's him getting behind and pushing you forward and leading you on. Uh, you, you can decide to do that today. There's a place on your connection card that says, contact me about following Jesus. If you've never asked him to lead you, and you're just at the point where you realize, I don't have the power, you can check that, and we'll, we'll follow up with you with more information. That's what it means to become a Christian. You go from leading your life with your limited power to choosing to follow Jesus and you tap into his. That makes all the difference in life and all the difference in your decisions. So if you check that, we'll, we'll follow up. So how to avoid compromise. Let's turn the corner. Here's some practical things. It's gonna be the opposite of David's terrible decision. The first thing is this. If you wanna avoid the compromise and being in vulnerable position, you need to be diligent. Instead of loosening your grip on your responsibilities, you tighten the grip. You do what God's given you to do. There's a lot of protection in that. Uh, Proverbs 21.5 says this, the plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. Now that makes sense. You don't work and you make rash decisions. Hasty is just, you just make a decision in the moment based on what you feel. It's saying you, you're gonna have nothing to show for your life. But the, the diligent, those that work hard, those that handle their responsibilities well, they're gonna have an abundance You'll have something to show for your life. And this is what it means to walk with God. You realize God has given me these responsibilities and I want to do right. I want to please him with that. So I'm, I'm the best employee I can be with his help. I'm the best boss I can be, best husband, best wife, brother, sister, child. I want to do what God has called me to do. Now, when we get into laziness, we get off track. And that's the opposite of diligence, just being lazy, which leads to hastiness. Because when you've not done the work, you just got to figure out how to put it all together. And so you just make a decision based on emotion. And that leads to a lot of compromise. Uh, number two, uh, pay attention to the warning signs. So these are things that, like me, you know when that like empty light came on like a couple days ago? That was my warning sign. Get gas. And there's some warning signs that we have, too, when we're kind of going down the vulnerable path. Uh, three ways to make yourself vulnerable. This is from a pastor called James Emery, Emery White. and He really, I thought, captured this, and so I'm, I'm, I'm borrowing this from him. But here, here's the first one. Uh, restless energy. Proverbs 21, 25. The desire of the sluggard kills him, for his hands refuse to labor. So this is kind of along the side with with diligence, but it's this restless energy where you've got too much time on your hands and it's not good. Now, some of you are like, what? 
I haven't had that since I was in fifth grade. But how many of you find yourself bored and don't make good decisions? Right? I eat more when I'm bored. Anyone? Come on now. Right? It's, it's just because you're like, what else are you going to do? Sit there? <laughs> Not eat? You know, once like 9 o'clock p.m. comes, that's fourth meal. And I'm bored. It's like I just want to eat. Next thing I know, I'm in the just pantry. I'm just ravaging. Guys, this feels like therapy today, you know? It's just, <laughs> this is really sad. This is my life. It's not sad. But it's true. The restless energy you know, once you start getting into boredom, it, it, it's bad. And so it's this the desire of the sluggard. Like when you get bored and you get lazy, you start to want more and more. You, you spend more when you're bored. You eat more. You can do stupid things. Now, this is more to guys. Women don't tend to do this. But guys, when we're bored, we tend to just have crazy ideas and we think it's a good one. You know what I'm talking about? Come on, guys. You guys are like hiding now. I don't know what he's talking about. Restless energy, boredom leads to bad decisions, and it gets us into trouble. Boredom feeds desire. And if we're not working hard, we just have all this energy, and oftentimes we end up doing dumb things. Okay? The second warning sign is emotional depletion. It's the idea of being exhausted, drained, stressed, worn out, however you want to say it. You're you're just, you are tired. The idea is if you're that tired in battle, you know, you can't pick up your shield to fight, to protect you. It's the same with compromising positions. If you're so depleted physically, spiritually, emotionally, it's like you cannot pick up that shield. It's like having three gauges. I think there's a picture of that. And they're all on empty. And you're not going to be able to move past that. So there's just times where you're physically, spiritually, and emotionally spent that you need to slow down. You need to stop. You need to recharge. This is actually why God created the Sabbath. The Sabbath is a day of rest that you should have in your week. Now, God doesn't need to rest. But when he made the world, he made it in six days, and on the seventh day, he rested. God did that to set a pattern of this rest to recharge. So we would see and say, okay, we need to do that as well. Because if God set this pattern and he didn't need to do it, we who are completely physical, we we do. We're going to be worn out. It's not just our physical bodies and our minds, emotionally and spiritually. You, you guys know how you get to that point where you're just kind of on edge and you're worn out and you're exhausted. Uh, here, here's some, some ways I can help me recharge it. Like physically, sometimes you just need to get some sleep. You actually just need to go to bed. If people start to tell you that, like you need a nap, you probably do. When you're a kid, your parent tells you that. No, I don't. And you're just cranky. But as an adult, there's, just, there's times you need, you need to get some rest. Now, remember, diligence is also on the other side of that. So don't be like, Pastor Alex says, I need a nap every day. <laughs> That's the missing link. If you're exhausted, you might, but there might be more to it than that. Uh, do some exercise. Eat healthy. Take care of yourself physically. It is connected. If, if physically you're beat up, It impacts your thoughts and your world. And that can lead to making bad decisions as well. Spiritually, 
If you're on empty, you need, to, you need to spend some time with God. If you've never spent time with God, you don't even know how to pray, then you, you can get some help because one, one of the things that God's doing is he, he's drawing you to himself. He wants to relate to you. And if you don't know how to relate to him, as a church, we wanna help you with that because I believe that relationship is the most important relationship you can have. You could be empty in all other areas, but if you're turning to God for help, he will help you. And so you just got to spend some time with him. And then there's other times where spiritually you just may be on empty and you just need to spend some time with the community of faith, the church. He will encourage you. They can pray for you. They can help you. That helps you in your life. Uh, the other emotional, there's just times you need to just slow down, focus on, on rest and renewal. Just ask God for help in the middle of what you're facing. And really get just a clear picture. This is where you're headed. This is what you're going to do. Because life beats us up. It does. But God, God wants to help. So those are the three warning signs. And then here's the, the third way to avoid that compromise. It's, it's this. Refusing to admit weakness. I think this was brought up in our Connect group this past week. But, and again, this might be mostly to men, but when you're lost, do you like to ask for directions? Not really. Now we don't need to. We use Google Maps. But when like Google Maps or Apple Maps, when they mess up, we're so chapped. Because at the end of the day, you're still lost. Just a robot told you where to go. But none of us like to admit this, this weakness because we want to seem like we have it all together. We're polished. We're tidy. But oftentimes we're, we're not. And so David covered it up and it only magnified. You don't cover it up. You, you actually, you confess. Here's what it says in Proverbs 10. It says, whoever walks in integrity walks securely, but he who makes his way crooked will be found out. The idea of integrity is you are where you are and you don't need to hide. But you try to make out like you're better than you are. It's this crooked path that you're on and it's all gonna come out. You can't hide from God. He knows, he wants to help you. So you have to, you have to admit your weakness. And that leads to what you do when you realize that. That's number three. If you compromise, confess. So you need to be diligent, pay attention to the warning signs. If you compromise, confess. I want to close with a psalm that David sung to the Lord after Nathan had confronted him. And so this is where you read in the scriptures in the Old Testament in uh, 1 Samuel, or sorry, 2 Samuel. And then there's a lot of times in the Psalms because David wrote them. So if there's kind of history and a narrative about David's life, there's different psalms that correlate with that. And so you can see kind of one event and then this song that David sings back to God. And Psalm 51 is, is one of these where he had just been confronted. And check out this, the, the beginning of it. It's the intro. It says, to the choir master, a psalm of David when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. So now you're seeing these two events. You're seeing this narrative. He was found out. And then you're seeing in this scripture his response. 
And this is actually one of the most beautiful Psalms. If you've never read it, Psalm 51 is this idea of when you're at your bottom, at your low point, what do you do? And this is, this is what he says. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. He moved from just this mistake mentality to owning. And you see, he's saying, I'm, I'm stained. I'm marred. I am scarred by what I've done. And you see that the, the, the words, it's blot out my transgressions. Wash me. I'm dirty. I'm messed up. Cleanse me. He turned to God to make me right, make me clean again. And it's this beautiful expression of when you get to the end and you realize no matter how you try to clean yourself up, how much you try to tidy yourself up, you're still dirty. It's only when you turn to God that you can be truly cleansed. To me, this is the greatest encouragement that I can have in my life, that I'm never too stained for God's hand to wash over me and clean me from the decisions that I've made. And I hope this can be some encouragement to you. Because David, after he confessed and sang this, God used him to give hope to us today. I want to close out with uh, some next steps. And so pull out your connection card. And each week we do this, and this is just a way of saying, okay, based on what I've heard, based on where I'm at, here's what I can do this week. If you want to grow towards God, take a step towards him. If you want to grow in your faith, if you've decided to follow him, then every week you need to take steps to do that. And every day. And so we just give these as ways that you can apply what, what you've learned. And so here's some next steps. The first one is to read Psalm 51 this week and record key insights. If you don't have a Bible, we have Bibles on the info table. And someone from our welcome team would be happy to give you one. If you're not sure where Psalm 51 is, uh, they can show you that. There's also the Bible app on your phone. If you search the Bible, it's this brown app that says Holy Bible on it. And you can read it on there as well. And so I encourage you, read, read Psalm 51 this week. If you want to do that, just check that on your connection card. Uh, the second next step is ask God to show me any vulnerabilities I have in my life. Like if you were to stop and slow down long enough and ask God, God, is there some things in my life that I'm right on the edge of compromise? I'm just skirting that edge. I'm almost to that cliff. He will show you. And so you might want to take the time to do that. So you might want to check that. And then the third is this is the end of this series. And then next week, we're starting a new series called The Generous Life. And we're going to be talking about how to live a life of generosity and how God being a generous God gives us this opportunity to be generous towards others. And so I want to invite you to come back next week. And so that might be just your next step. With where you are, I just need to come back. And so you can mark that in there. As you finish filling that out, I'm going to invite the band up. We're going to receive our offering in a moment. If you have a prayer request, I, I see those every week, those connection cards. And so 
as you mark next steps, I pray for you. And then on the lines there at the bottom, if you have a prayer request, uh, put your prayer request in, and, and I'll pray for you as well. So I'm really glad you guys were here uh, today. If I've never met you, I'm gonna be by the info table and I'd love to meet you after the service. I'm gonna pray. We'll receive our offering. You can drop your connection card in there as that comes by. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the power and forgiveness that we have in Jesus. Thank you that though we are stained with our sin and our decisions that we regret, we can be be made white as snow. Though we're dirty, we can be cleaned. Thank you, God, that you took the initiative to send your son on our behalf. The weight of our decisions and our mistakes is so heavy, and he has come to lift that burden. And so we thank you for for sending him. We praise you for your love and your grace. God, we do not deserve the second chances that you give us, but you do. And so we, we praise your name, and we thank you, God, for what you done in our lives and what you want to do. God, help us to turn to you and to push past the obstacles that prevent us from living the life that you want us to. We ask for your help as we move forward. In the name of your son, Jesus, amen.